Well, 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 good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. My name is Ms. Bunn. I am coming to you from Houston, Texas, and I wanted to welcome you to No Hot Smoke, your favorite, favorite diaspora show. Now, if it's not your favorite, hopefully it's on its way to becoming your favorite, or it's along that trajectory, you know what I mean? Anyway, here at No Hot Smoke, we really try and bring you guys the up, down, and sideways truth of living life outside the motherland, which is Africa. And we try and emphasize the importance of remaining authentic in that experience for, uh, for the purposes, mainly, of seeing how you can use that experience to either bring positive change to your home country of Africa, or if you're not Africa, or you're not from Africa, then bring positive change to the motherland in general. So... I want to take, before I even start and dive into my show for today, which is about food. I know some of you guys are really excited and you like to eat as much as I do. I want to acknowledge the people that tuned in last week. Thank you guys so much. A lot of you guys after the show wrote in your words of encouragement and your suggestions. You guys went to the bottom of the form that's on afritalks.com. And you guys sent us messages and we really appreciate those messages. We do read all those messages and we do respond to all those messages. You can also find us on iTunes and Spotify at No Hot Smoke. So, and off, of course on Facebook, but we don't put the shows on Facebook. That's just if you want to message us or tell us we're super awesome or whatnot. So thank you guys for listening last week. Thank you for the new people that are listening this week. I mean, we only grow when you guys listen. So thank you for seeing the importance in this show and for tuning in to listen. I also want to thank our behind the scenes guy for our live show. His name is Marshall Anaka. And he's always one that's monitoring things, seeing how everything is going. He's getting live feedback from the live audience. And so even though this is for the podcast, I still want to take that opportunity to thank him. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Let's see. One more thing. Let me tell you guys. Today's show, the food show, it would only be fitting that it is brought to you guys by an organization that sees the need to connect diasporans, particularly Nigerians, to things going on back in Nigeria. So today's show is brought to you by Nerukete uh, Projects Limited. You can call them at 832-510-8501, plus 1-832-510-8501. And if you live outside of Nigeria, you're really tired of looking for, you know, professional professionals in Nigeria to get, get things done for you. If you're in Nigeria or you're if you're in Nigeria visiting, or if you're outside of Nigeria and you really don't know who to trust with your money, if you have a request or know who to go to, you know, or information on what you need to get done in Nigeria, whether it's you know, building a house or so on and so forth, and you just don't even know where to start, well, they know where to start. And you can call them. They'll connect you with specialist hospitals with reputable doctors that were trained in Nigeria and outside of Nigeria. Uh, they have business and professional branding experts. They have Dubai investment opportunities. They connect, connect you with good lawyers that practice in their specialty areas. These people have all been vetted. And my favorite is... They will provide you with traditional marriage services. So if you need clothing and accessories for TM outside of Nigeria, go ahead and give them a call. You're going to get your specs, find out what you want to wear. 
the colors you like, so on and so forth. You're gonna have bridesmaids, groomsmen. Are they gonna wear traditional? And if they are, they're gonna get that sewn for you in the size that you want. You won't have to resize it because we've done this before with them and we didn't have to resize anything. If anything, you might have to take it in. Better to be loose than to be tight. But if you want it to be exact, they'll get it exact for you. We wanted ours to be loose. That way people can have the option to take it in. So that was our request and that's what they provided. So it'll get you connected with all of that stuff. Highly, highly recommend them. So thank you to Nero Kete Projects Limited for this show. So thank you guys. Thank you everybody. And let's dive into the topic of the show. I didn't really need to sing, but I mean, what else would you expect from fun, right? I mean, these random things happening. Food, food, food. You're probably asking, well, this is not really what one normally talks about. This might be a little bit off topic with her whole kumbaya thing of, you know, helping Africa and helping Africans. What does food have to do with any of that stuff? Well, food, the reason why I'm doing this show is uh, food is an important part of our culture and our experience and our identity, uh, whether as human beings or as Africans. And African food is not unimportant in the world stage and in the world cuisine. We just don't necessarily realize that. And so I think it's important for us to know that. And so I want to encourage all Africans to be proud of and to honor their food. Eat your food, serve it to your friends at parties. And there's a, there are ways to do that in a way that is presentable. So I know that some of the complaints that non-Africans have with African food is that, oh, it stinks, or it's smelly, or it looks weird, or it looks funny. Well, look, let me tell you something. I live in Texas, and there are plenty of ethnic restaurants where you can go to, and it does not smell like roses, or flowers, or pineapples, okay? It kind of has a, a, a smell to it. It might be a bit pungent. I would never say it stinks because I'm very conscious of things like that. I come from a culture where people, where I, I come from a culture that has food in which people might say, ew, it's stinky. So I'd never say that. But there's a way to make it so people want to eat your food. And we are not going to talk about that way today because that's a food show which, which the chefs that I'm going to bring on in a future show are going to talk about these things but what i do want to talk about are the types of things that we eat in our culture and meaning african culture in general that we're used to seeing or that we're used to eating and i really want to connect you with how that has penetrated other world cuisines so for example i i'm sure you guys have all heard of coca-cola i don't drink it uh, not not because it's bad, which it kind of is, but I'm not going to go into that. Uh, I don't drink it, but I know a lot of people that do. I have drank it before. But it is notable that Coca-Cola, one of the main ingredients in Coca-Cola used to be the cola nut. And the cola nut, for those of you who are not familiar, the cola nut, uh, in West, we use it in West Africa. And I would imagine other parts of the continent use it as well. But I'm going to speak for West Africa because I know that they use it heavily. Uh, we use it in West Africa and uh, in ceremonial, you know, it can be a ceremonial thing. Uh, some people just eat it like that. Like you can go to the store and find somebody munching on a cola nut. You know, they're like, oh, I really need a, you know, a shot of like, I need, I need, I need to wake up. Some guys say it's good for the libido. 
I don't know because I don't have a pee-pee stick, as my mom used to call them. So I don't know if it's good for my libido, for their, a man's libido. And uh, so you, gotta, you guys got to do your own survey on that one. But it has very, very high caffeine content. So it's not by mistake that it was originally in the Coca-Cola uh, ingredient list. It is no longer there. Neither are other notables that some say were in there or were actually in there. We're not going to name specifics, but it starts with the C-O-C-A-I-N-E. Uh, <laughs> I've just spelt it for you guys, so I'm not even sure why I said we're not going to name specifics. <gasps> Whatever. So, cola nut, amazing. So you look at the name, Coca-Cola. I mean, obviously, the coca comes from the original use of uh, coca or cacao in, as some people would say, in the Coca-Cola ingredients. You got coca and you have cola nut. And so Coca-Cola, what a fabulous name. That's just the, you know, it's just a little throwing that in there for y'all. So the cola nut that you eat is by no means unimportant. The cola nut that you're used to that you use in your ceremonies, I know it is used heavily in Igbo ceremonies. I mean, you can go to any Igbo uh, ceremony and they, they have a certain way of doing things. And they always wind up serving cola nut before they start the actual ceremony full, full blown. So I, it's, it's amazing. It's very interesting and how the cola nut is used in different parts of the continent and how Americans and has have found a way, I'm saying Americans because Coca-Cola began in the US, have found a way to incorporate it into things that they produce. So that's just a side. But anyhow, got your Coca-Cola. If you don't like Coca-Cola, you're like, you know what, I don't drink pop. I just don't like the taste, it's too sugary, but I do drink coffee. Well, no. Let me tell you, we have our friends in East Africa to thank for the mass introduction of coffee to the world. You guys are probably like, when I think about coffee, you're like, I don't think about East Africa. I don't think about America. I think about Central America. So where are you getting this whole coffee in Africa thing? Well, simmer down, simmer down. Let me tell you. Coffee maybe not as we know it, but coffee was first introduced to, and I'll say the new world. So it first coffee, coffee first came to the US, historians say, in the 17th century, but it was brought to the rest of the world before that, around the 16th century. And when I say the rest of the world, I mean like in mass. So what you had were you had Europeans that were, you know, traveling, doo -doo 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 -doo, going along, landed in East Africa. They were in East Africa, they'd go to Yemen, Saudi Arabia, and the Emirates uh, in the 16th century. And what they found is that they encountered these coffee houses and they encountered this very strong culture around coffee drinks. Now, the Yemen, Saudi, and Emirates area, their introduction to coffee came in their travels to East Africa, most notably uh, Ethiopia. But after the Europeans came, you know, they saw this very strong culture around coffee drinking in these parts of the world. Uh, given the fact that there was racial prejudice against Africans at the time that was being honed by the transatlantic slave trade, and the fact that coffee just became such a central theme to Muslim culture, Europeans just attributed the art of making coffee and really the profusion of coffee houses to Muslim cultures and Muslim societies. But a lot of people say 
that, you know, when you think of coffee, you think of Ethiopia because Ethiopian coffee has an excellent reputation. It's known as Ethiopia's you know, Ethiopia is known as the birthplace of the world's premier coffee. You can go ahead and, and Google and type birthplace of world's premier coffee. And one of your search, one of your top searches will be your top answers will be Ethiopia. It's quite fascinating, really. I mean, when you're learning all these things, you're like, hmm, let me really test this out. Is it true? And you're like, oh, snap, it is. So you got your drinks. Uh, and, you know, the kind of rap that Ethiopia gets is, uh, you know, they're poor, they're this, they're that. And when you think of the things that come out of Ethiopia, it's such a rich culture. I mean, they brought, not only do they bring their food, you go to any major city in the U.S., you'll find an Ethiopian restaurant. London, Melbourne, Houston, L.A., San Francisco, uh, New York, Orlando, Chicago, with the exception of Melbourne, those are all cities that I've been to, and I've seen these Ethiopian restaurants. Those are not necessarily all the cities that I've been to, but each of those cities that I've been to, I've seen Ethiopian restaurants. I don't necessarily find other African cuisines, but I found these Ethiopian restaurants, which I think is very, very lovely that they're able to bring their food outside of Ethiopia to countries outside of Ethiopia. So that was a double redundant statement. But they're able to bring their food to other people and other people can experience it. And by doing so, develop maybe a different view, maybe a more holistic view on what Ethiopia is. So I think that is amazing. But thank you to our Ethiopian friends for the coffee. And thank you as well to our Ethiopian friends for sesame seeds. Let me tell you guys something. I love, okay, I like a lot. Maybe not say I love. I'm going to reserve love for pizza. But I do like a lot hummus. And one of the ingredients in hummus, if you so choose to put it in, I'm not saying it's mandatory, is tahini. And tahini is made from sesame seeds. Now, it the sesame seeds are not only grown in Ethiopia. It's now really spread across the world. So you have Greece being the most productive producer of sesame seeds per acre. But, you know, they're grown in China in large quantities, obviously. In India, there's a very large producers of sesame seeds, bigger than Greece. Uh, it's grown in Arkansas in the U.S. So it, it's grown all over the world and it travels all over the world. But it's kind of notable. I was trying to make hummus one day. And normally when I cook, I don't, I just kind of come up with recipes in my head. So I'm like, hmm, I want to make chicken and I want it to be spicy. And then my mind just kind of comes up with a list of ingredients that I should put on the chicken or how I should marinate it. And then maybe through a trial and error process of one tablespoon of this, nope, I should put two tablespoons, then I come up with a quantity. So that's just my own process. But I had never made hummus before. I know that I made from garbanzo beans. That's about it. And so I said, okay, let me let me be efficient here and let me go ask Grandma Google how I should make hummus. Went into Google, typed it in, and I'm like, oh, you put tahini in hummus? I, I didn't know that. I just I just shove it in my face. I just eat it. And so went, found that, and then went down a rabbit hole. You guys know how it is when you go on Google sometimes. You're looking up one particular thing, find an interesting fact. 
in that particular thing you're looking about, then you go and you research that interesting fact, and then before you know it, you're like down this rabbit hole that started in Phoenix, Arizona, and the rabbit hole is now in Cuba, or depending on what it could have been, it could be in Bolivia. You completely, you're off the mark, like 100% off the mark. It's kind of what I did with the whole tahini and sesame seeds. Found out that uh, some chefs say that one of the best uh, tahinis comes from Israel. But it's interesting because there is a particular Israeli chef that says that the best sesame seeds for tahini comes from Ethiopia. Very popular Israeli chef. And I was like, oh, that's quite interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't, up until I was trying to make hummus, I did not realize that Ethiopia grew sesame seeds. I knew them for hummus. Didn't know them for sesame seeds. So these small things, and here in the U.S., sesame seeds are not necessarily a part of our cuisine. We necessarily use it to cook with a lot of stuff. But, I mean, you can find it on our burgers, you know, or some people, as a, you know, they make toasted sesame seeds, put it on a salad. Frequently seen on burgers. Frequently, frequently, frequently seen on burgers. And I love my burgers. Let me just put that out there. Burgers are tasty and delicious. Meat and meatless burgers all alike. Well, obviously, it's the bread that I'm liking, but, you know, the filling is good, too. But they sesame seeds have now spread everywhere and so when you think of ethiopia we never really think of sesame seeds that often but it there you go you can get so much from one place that can have such an impact on different world cuisines and when you think about it hummus is a you know it's like a mediterranean type thing and uh would you know no mistake that greece is one of the most is is the uh most productive producer per acre of sesame seeds it's hummus is very common in greek food but it got there by way of ethiopia so thank you to our east african friends for their contribution to our culinary palate shall i say now the thing we're on the topic of beans we just went we just talked not really beans but little seedy looking things sesame seeds look like little they're like little tiny 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 seeds and so what's coming to my head and what my notes are telling me are also oh sesame seeds why don't you talk about beans okay let me tell you guys something i'm just gonna have to take a a deep breath for this one and breathe out beans 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 so much you can do with beans in fact today i just had some oxtail smothered in gravy with a side of greens mustard and collard greens and a side of black eyed peas. It was at a soul food restaurant here in Houston. Now, let me tell you guys a little bit of something, a little something, something about them beans. Beans, and I'm talking about black eyed peas in particular. Some people call them cowpeas before, you know, we started calling them black eyed peas commonly now. They used to be called cowpeas, and that's because Slave owners used to allow the cows to eat the stalks of the beans. Uh, but that aside, really, that aside, imagine this. Just picture this. Just humor me. Humor me. You guys always humor me. But continue humoring me as I paint this picture for you. You're walking down the street. You have your sandals on. The street is a little bit dusty. 
um, you know, dust is blowing as you walk. There are, you're on the sidewalk. The cars are honking. People are yelling out their window. Traffic is heavy, really has come to a standstill. People are selling things on the side that you're walking on and you're sweating. I mean, it's hot outside. And at the same time, you're like, oh man, I just got bitten by this grandpa mosquito and I'm trying so hard not to scratch this bite. You just keep on walking. You have your bottle of water, you're just chugging it and you're drinking it and you start smelling the smell of fish and onions and tomatoes in the air and it's cooking and it smells so good with the spices. And you're about to head to the fish when you all of a sudden you're distracted by a lady on the side who's selling these little balls, uh, these little fried balls made of black eyed peas. So your tummy turns you to the black eyed pea lady and you grab some and you eat, you take it, she puts it in a, in a newspaper for you and she gives you a napkin and you take it and you go. Now, I asked a friend of mine on the live show, uh, my guest, I was on the live show. I said, what country comes to mind when you think of that? And she was like, hmm, I think she named a African country. And I said, in fact, no, this is a scene right out of Brazil. And I think she nearly fell out of her chair. And she's like, really? Black eyed peas in Brazil? And I said, in fact, yes. So the little black eyed pea balls that I'm talking about is called akara. This is what we call it in West Africa. Um, predominantly in Nigeria. It's called akara. Oddly enough, in Brazil, they call it akarae. So it's it's almost it's like almost the same sound, only with the you know, the the flair of the Portuguese language kind of gives it a different sound. But we call it akara and it's made from ground seasoned black eyed peas in which you fry and you can eat it with a custard or some people eat it with a, like a stewy sauce. I don't eat it with a stewy sauce, but some people eat it with a stewy sauce. But it's really, 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 really tasty if it's made correctly, might I say. But it's really tasty. So when you think of black eyed peas, you don't necessarily think of Brazil. But here are these black eyed peas, which made their way to Brazil by way of the slaves. So and this, a lot of this food came by way of the slaves. And a lot of these are foods that we in Africa still eat. And there's, there's nothing wrong with it. We still eat it. We don't necessarily know that other people eat it, but we certainly still eat it. And for the most part, if you're eating it, I, I hope you're enjoying it. Unless, of course, you're like my mom, who, when my mom cooked food, you guys, and my mom cooked food. My mom had four kids. My parents have four kids. Not had. They have four kids. Three boys and one girl. And she would cook food. And my mom was a great cook. But, you know, sometimes as a kid, you don't want to eat certain stuff. Like I had, my, I had a brother who doesn't, he just hates plantain. He just doesn't like it. Now he's developing a taste for it because his wife loves plantain. And so he's like, oh, okay, I'll try it. But he just doesn't like plantain. So she'd cook and she'd put it in front of your face and you can either eat it or you could sit at the table not eating it. But guess what? You go and eat that food, whether or not you like it. So if you're in that kind of a situation or your child is in that kind of a situation, 
is not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about you're eating it out of your own volition and you're enjoying it because it is delicious as food that you're eating should be. Food should be delicious. My personal opinion, obviously, you know, but hey, why shouldn't it be good? So thank you for the beans. Thank you for the black eyed peas. Uh, the conditions in which they came, I'm not going to comment on that, but I'm just letting you guys know how black eyed peas got out from West Africa and found their way into Brazil. Uh, so it's not only, and you're, and you're probably thinking like, okay, hmm, yeah, I get that. Okay, black eyed peas, okay. But what else found its way out of Africa into other parts of the world, maybe through the transatlantic slave trade? Um, I might shock you guys with this next one, but oddly enough and funnily enough, I don't think funnily is a word, but I'll have to check up on that. Funny enough, funny enough, rice, as in R-I-C-E, rice, as in the little white stuff that you put when you eat with your stew or you eat it in a pudding. Yeah, rice, rice and rice pudding. And you're probably thinking, rice okay like make the connection well and i'm gonna make the connection for you guys <laughs> i'm gonna make the connection right now so what happened is you had the slave trade we know as we know a majority of the slaves were pulled from the western african countries not that they didn't come from other countries but a majority of them were pulled were taken from the western african countries and so in the places where slaves were allowed to plant their own food they chose to plant certain things, and those things were rice, beans, yams, uh, bananas, and those were the things that they liked to plant. So what would then happen? They plant these things, and in certain places, maybe like Virginia, George Washington did plant rice. In certain places like Virginia, where you're like, hmm, I can do something with this rice you can make some money out of it then you would have a market for that so you would have slave traders that would go to certain villages do raids literally do raids and i'm, I'm going to talk about this in particular to rice because there's a story i want to tell you guys about it uh do raids and bring certain groups of people that could work certain crops so rice that's how rice arrived in the americas Americas, North America, South America, via slave ships. Now, there are two groups of rice, okay? You have the rice that comes from Africa, then you have the rice that comes from Asia. Now, to be specific, rice was first introduced to Mexico in the 1520s via Spanish colonizers. And at the same time, as history says, it was introduced at the same time to Brazil via Portuguese slaves. So... You got Mexico, the rice goes down from there, and you have the, we have Brazil, then the rice spreads in that, the cultivation, the planting and cultivation of rice spread in those regions. Some say that it was the Chinese rice that was, I'm sorry, not Chinese, it was the Asian rice that was introduced to Mexico, and it was the African rice that was introduced to Brazil. You, you know, what with, with history, you have two different stories, three four five six seven multitude of stories so but 
the what I've been what I had read and what I had heard was that uh the African rice is for was what was introduced to the Brazilian countries, um, Cuba, you know, so on and so forth in those places. And both rices were eventually introduced to Mexico. So both the Asian rice and the African rice were eventually introduced to Mexico and then worked their way down. So there's this particular story. I was reading it and I thought it was very, very telling. And there's so many stories of how rice came to the Americas from Africa, but one that I found it was especially gripping and telling. It was told by a Senegalese chef. His name is Pierre Tiem, and he was telling it to the United Nations online African news magazine, which is called Africa Renewal. And he says that during slavery uh, in Casamance, uh, which is in Senegal, it's an area in Senegal. So in Casamance and in places all over Senegal, as well as in other rice producing countries in the western part of the continent, people were literally plucked from these regions. Like, like I told you guys, they did raids. And there were several raids uh, to find slaves who knew how to cultivate rice. And those people were shipped out to the Carolinas, shipped out to Mexico. So uh, South Car North Carolina produces a lot of rice, little known fact. But that's probably, so you, then you had this migration of African rice into Mexico. So, and you think Senegal, you're like, hmm, Senegal, rice. I don't necessarily think of rice when I think of Senegal. I mean, it's not hard to believe that African rice came to the Americas a lot of it from Senegal because you consider the fact that Senegal's national dis national dish is rice and fish. I'm like, oh, interesting. Senegal has a lot of rice dishes for those of you who might not know. And maybe one down the future we might have a regional or country by country food show. Uh, maybe I like a fast, you know, clip here and there. We might talk about Senegalese dishes. I don't know, but along with rice comes rice pudding. And so that's called sombi in Senegal. And it's interesting enough because rice is not indigenous to this part of the world, meaning North and South America. It's not indigenous to this part of the world. So it came from either Asia uh, or and or and or Africa. And it's funny because I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona which is in the southwestern part of the United States. And there's a rice drink. And this rice drink is in other cultures. When I went to visit Nigeria, I had this rice drink. And I'm like, oh, this reminds me of this rice drink in Phoenix. So in Mexico, they drink a rice drink called horchata. Horchata is made from rice. It's, you know, you can put, season it with cinnamon if you choose to and, you know, sugar and some other stuff. And when I went to Nigeria, two years ago and had this rice drink, it tasted exactly, with slight taste in the rice, it tasted exactly like horchata. And obviously it should because they've been making rice drinks in West Africa for God knows how long. And the slaves came and brought that, uh, brought that, way of making rice drink to Mexico. So it's quite, 
quite, quite fascinating. Quite, quite, quite fascinating. It's really amazing how our food has kind of, you know, migrated to different parts of, or really our, maybe, 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 not, maybe not our food. Maybe some of you are like, well, rice is not really a food. Okay, whatever. Our ingredients have migrated to different parts of the world. Now, I, I live in Houston and I, Houston is, it's a Southern city. Let's not fool ourselves. People are like, oh, it's a Gulf city, blah, 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 whatever that means. It's a Southern city. And Houston has uh, a lot of full soul food restaurants. And what what is soul food? You guys are probably wondering, well, what the heck is soul food? So soul food is based off of African-American cuisine. And it's things like, it's food that is particular to this part of the country. So meaning the South. And so it's like rice and beans, you have the fried chicken, you have gumbo, uh, you got watermelon, you know, sweet potato pie, those types of, those types of foods, uh, soul food, greens, collard greens, different ways of cooking pork, uh, you know, pork in a collard, the, the, the list is really endless. So you got soul food and funny enough that I mentioned gumbo because gumbo has rice. The base for gumbo is normally thickened with okra. I call it okra because that's how I grew up calling it. So I'm going to call it okra. Normally thickened with okra. Now, let me tell you guys, as some of you, actually as all of you are going to find out, okra and I, we're not, we're not the best of friends. I mean, we're, we're, there's no mutually beneficial relationship going on between okra and I. I just don't like it. And in fact, we used to, when we were younger, my dad, my dad is a consummate gardener, loves to garden. His idea of a good time when we were younger would be going out on a Saturday and helping him lay manure in the grass because he had just planted some seeds, winter grass, and he had to lay manure. And in a big backyard, you're not going to be laying 50 pound bags of manure by yourself. You get your four kids all under the age of 10 to help you out and quote unquote bond with them. So I think it was a scam, dad, but it's cool. It's cool. I love you for it. I do like gardening now, almost 30, more than 30 something years later. But we used to go and we, when we'd go, when we'd weed the garden, because you got to weed the garden, pluck up the weeds. I would get this ingenious idea to tell my brothers, okay. We are going to unpluck every third okra plant that way, you know, because we're kids. We don't always know what a weed looks like because he'd make us pluck the tiniest green thing that wasn't a plant. That wasn't a, a plant that he wanted. And so sometimes we'd accidentally pluck up, uh, you know, the actual seed, seedling of what he did plant, whether it's the tomato or the okra or the watermelon. Not the watermelon. We were really, we knew what watermelon seed, seedling looked like because they have those two leaves that start growing out we knew what those look like we didn't we didn't mess with watermelon but okra kind of comes out weedy looking at least in the southwest we have certain weeds that look like that so i'd be like okay guys every third plant pluck the okra and we throw it in a pile of weeds so i was like oh daddy sorry we didn't know this was okra of course i did and so much to my chagrin when i had gumbo and before i ate it i was they were like oh yeah we put okra on it i was like you put what in in gumbo you were doing so good with the ingredient list and then you listed gumbo 
But you know what? A lot of people love okra. And I'm okay with that. And I'm okay that okra is used to thicken gumbo. Because in Nigeria, we do have an entire soup with okra. Some people make it with okra and different meats. Other people make it with okra. And they might put uh, maybe like a local spinach in it. You know, maybe for like for, you know, to make it look a little bit interesting, toss in the greens there. But okra is heavily used in that part of the continent. It's quite, quite, quite fascinating. And so I was like, oh, great. This delicious gumbo is thickened with okra. Oh, guess what? I don't always eat the gumbo, but I do taste it because it's very flavorful. But imagine something like that in the southern part of the U.S. Gumbo entrenched in southern food culture. Gumbo is entrenched. That's like saying, you know, Gary or cassava is entrenched in uh, West African food. You, like you can't have your soup without having a side of that. So it's it's just entrenched. So it was quite fascinating to me. Like I said, I was a little bit unhappy about it, but it. Akra serves its purpose, and I'm not going to take that away from the poor plant. Like I said, we don't really got a best relationship, not mutually beneficial, but, you know, we have, we have respect for each other. So what did I mention? I, I also talked about uh, watermelon, and as part of, you know, like this very southern kind of cuisine. And watermelon, you, you might not realize that watermelon, same thing. It came by way of the slaves into this part of the country. It, it's not indigenous to this part of the world. And in when you if you go to Nigeria, if you go to, you can go to the market during watermelon season and you'll find watermelon. It might be expensive depending on what state you are in Nigeria because watermelon doesn't grow all over the country, but you will definitely find watermelon. And you'll, it, it doesn't look any differently from the watermelon that we eat in the US. It might be a bit smaller because it's not, you know, GMO, uh, genetically modified to that extent. So it, it'll definitely be a bit smaller, but it tastes exactly the same. Has little black seeds, you know, seeds are crunchy, you know, red flesh with the white with the white rind and then the green rind. I mean, it's all, uh, it tastes exactly the same. So. Imagine my surprise when I went to Aquaibum, uh, which is where my parents are from. That's where I was born. And I went to the market in Uyo. And I'm like, oh, there's some watermelon. Mm, amazing. This is great. I, I used to think watermelon was an American thing. And it's not sometimes until you step outside of your comfort zone and the surroundings that you're used to. And you begin to observe other surroundings and you begin to realize that we are all connected more so than we realize. And if we just took the time to acknowledge that connection, it would really affect the way we treated ourselves and in the way we treated other people. So love watermelon. Watermelon and I, we're BFFs, let me tell you. We get we get along real, real well. I mean, watermelon is with me sometimes for breakfast. So I want to eat it with cottage cheese. Watermelon would go along with me if I want to eat it for lunch. 
watermelon is there for me to slice up for dinner watermelon and i like watermelon we good we 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 have no issues not like my relationship with okra or okra as some of you guys may say it but like i said i'm gonna call it okra because you know that's that's how i grew up saying it and there's nothing wrong with that so it's so it was so interesting to me when i was you know kind of researching the show and researching all these things because when i bring you guys things i gotta research them i just don't pull them out of my ass and so i gotta research it you know vet it check it out go on reputable sites not that there's anything wrong with wikipedia but i'm not pulling all my research off of wikipedia you go on you know i do my national geographic i go to uh, where this fda.org go to you know a lot of these government websites that'll talk about oh this is what's happening with this type of food or so on and so forth that'll maybe talk about things that i want to research and it, it takes a lot of time but i love it because i love the fact that after we talk about it you guys are like oh this is amazing you guys don't necessarily say this is amazing but the feedback that comes from it it's always very very humbling so I wouldn't have it any other way. I think it's it this is this is something that I totally and truly enjoy. So let's take a step back and we're gonna look at a bird's eye view and we're gonna say to ourselves, Africa, you have done a lot to contribute to the culinary landscape of different countries in this world. And we wanna thank you for that. Thank you, Mama Africa. And we will do our best to continue to allow others to taste our food. We will expose them to it. And by doing so, maybe they can walk away saying, hmm, that green Nigerian soup that I thought looked kind of funny, it tastes delicious. I didn't know such good food came out of Nigeria. Or I didn't know that you could make you know, beans and put curry in it. Amazing. Africans eat these things. I want them to come out with this type of realization. Now, there is a way. I mean, you can take all this stuff. I mean, you got your coconut ceremonial thing, serve your coffee, your sesame seeds, you may or may not serve it in something. You got your black eyed peas, you want to serve your beans or akara. You have your rice, if you want to serve rice and stew, and maybe you want to serve with okra soup. This all can be a, um, a a dish, a courses. This can be something where somebody comes to your house. These are the things you're serving to them. All with motherland derivatives, y'all. All with motherland derivatives. And then you toss in the watermelon for, you know, a sweet little snack while they're waiting for the ice cream that's in the freezer. And there are ways to make what we cook presentable, we being Africans. And so let's say, for example, my mom, when she gets cat, not catfish, fried tilapia, you know, tilapia, you can get it whole or they can cut it up. And like the live show guest was saying, Tatiana Randall, she said, yeah, I love me some fish, but I don't want to be looking at no fish eyes looking at me like that. And you know what? I don't blame her. So when she looks at the fried tilapia, no matter how appetizing it might be or how it is presented the addition of that fish head to the mix, it, it can be turning off to some people, can turn a lot of people off. But the removal of that fish head, you can still make what we're eating 
appetizing to somebody else and it, it can look very palatable. And I really believe that if the East Africans have figured out a way to popularize their food in such a way that you go to an Ethiopian or Eritrean restaurant, the times that I've been there, let me tell you guys, the times that I've been there, a majority of the people have not been Ethiopian or Eritrean. There are some Eritrean restaurants, not as many, not as much as the Ethiopian restaurants, but it's been, sometimes you see uh, Indians from India, sometimes you see Asians, uh, a lot of times you see Caucasians, and you're like, hmm, it's very diverse. They found a way to make their food palatable and still retain its authenticity. It's not make your food palatable at the expense of the authenticity. There is a way to make your food palatable and still retain its authenticity. When my mom cooks and when we host people at my parents' house, people from church or, you know, if my social butterfly of a brother is having an event that my parents are hosting at their house, we serve Nigerian food and people eat it. They eat the soup. They eat the rice and stew. Some people try the fufu that goes along with it. We serve Nigerian food and they eat it and they love it and they come back for more. So nothing wrong with our food. It is definitely something we can use to connect other people to our culture with. And in doing so, you know, we're able to use our experience living outside of the motherland through food to give people a different impression. And you don't know where that impression could lead. It could lead to a conversation on, okay, what are the challenges in your country? How can you resolve those challenges? You just never, ever know. Food is something that brings people together. So I really want to encourage you guys to use your food in as many ways possible as you can to maybe expose people to a different aspect of your culture. Enjoy it, because I certainly enjoy it. I eat other people's food too, so I don't just spend my days eating Nigerian food. Do love a good banku. Shout out to the Ghanaians. Delicious. Uh, other things that I like as well, but that's for another show. So with that, I think that I am going to say thank you for listening. You know what, guys? I'm going to, and when this happens, I'm going to really make you guys aware of it. But we're going to have some chefs come on to uh, future shows. We're going to profile some chefs coming up. And that's when they're going to, they'll hint on, you know, how you can make your food presentable. But I really want you guys to tune in for that show because I'm really excited about the food show. Food is like I said at the beginning, it's delicious. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. You, We do have shows online, uh, com, And of course, you can always find us on Spotify and iTunes. You can find the shows that we had online on Spotify and iTunes, as well as the After Show Chats. So thank you guys so much. And the next show is going to be about something that is near and dear to my heart. But you guys are going to have to wait for the advert to come out and then you can see it. (laughs) That was a mean laughter. I'm sorry. Thanks again, guys. We will see you in two weeks online. 
or just check back Spotify and iTunes periodically. We have new episodes released at least every two weeks. So, adios, as they say in Espanol.